You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We really start to hone in for the rest of the book of Genesis on specifically the descendants of Shem as God calls Abraham out and begins to intentionally work with the children of Israel. So we, we say goodbye in some sense to how God is working globally with all people. We've seen it since Adam and Eve through their descendants with Noah um, in the account of the flood and now after Noah. Um, but then moving forward in the book of Genesis, it really takes on a very Jewish flavor in looking at the descendants of Abraham. Uh, so let's look uh, once again at Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So over the past several weeks, we've been looking at uh, a theological understanding of race and ethnicity and, and the implications of that for God's church today. We started with looking at that curse of Canaan uh, with, with Noah's descendants coming off the ark and, and the sin of Ham and the, the ramifications of that. We looked at the prophecy of Noah and how that tied to uh, Canaan. And, and then we said that in that in that sermon, we said that an individual's value and deserved treatment is based upon the image of God rather than the image of his ancestor. The moral character of an individual defining him rather than his ethnic descent. So we said that uh, mistakenly and wrongfully and sinfully that at times uh, people under the, the umbrella of religion have said, okay, this curse uh, affords me the opportunity to treat other people negatively because God has mandated that through this curse. And that's not the case. That, that this curse was not given as though it was a uh, an opportunity for man to then try to enact the curse upon these people. Um, instead, we see that God's word always tells us that a person being created in the image of God is what gives them value, not their ancestor's image, that their moral character defines them, not their ethnic descent, not their skin color. We then looked at what it means to embrace a racial gospel, and we looked at the interaction between Paul and Peter when Peter had separated himself over uh, some prejudiced feelings towards Gentiles, at least not wanting to be associated with a movement where Gentiles were being accepted, so he outwardly tries to distance himself, even if inwardly he knew that God had accepted Gentiles. He tries to outwardly show to his Jewish friends that he's not embraced this, and Paul rebukes him for it. And so we said to embrace the gospel is to embrace racial diversity with a goal of unity because the purpose of the church is to tear down dividing walls of ethnicity in order to expand God's glory to all peoples. 
We see that message all through the New Testament as Gentiles uh, are included in the gospel, included in God's plan. We see Jesus setting the example. He sets the example talking to the Samaritan woman. The disciples are appalled that he's interacting with this woman, a, a town that most Jewish people would, would take the long way to go around because they despise some of the choices that they had made um, as, as, a, as a people. And so Jesus sets the example, sets the standard for what it looks like to embrace uh, ethnic diversity. And then last week we said that there's a hope of racial reconciliation. Um, And what we see here in the Tower of Babel story is that the ethnic separation we experience today is a temporary division by God's grace. We said last week that it's by God's grace that he steps down and separates us into nations. Because together, unified in our sin, God says nothing's impossible for these people. Uh, the, The maximum amount of evil is possible Because they're unified in their language. They're unified in their purpose. And so God thwarts those plans by creating language barriers. He he separates humans so that they can't rally together without there being a language issue that that, that separates and, and keeps us from making plans together. And then through that, through the division of nations, we are at war against each other. Rather than coming together in unity for sinful purposes, we stay divided based on our ethnic descent. And that's by God's grace. While there's a lot of hostility that comes from that, ultimately it's by God's grace that the maximum amount of sin is not being produced. It's a temporary division, though, because ultimately mankind's going to be united once again with a common language and purpose. And we see, through reconciliation, God calling people from all nations back to him. And he initiates that through Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that Abraham is to be a blessing to all nations. And so the grace of this story, just like God showed grace in the flood account, rescuing Noah and his family, showing the, the rainbow as a sign that he would never uh, bring a flood, never bring a flood again. He shows grace in, in the fact that he calls Abraham out of a diverse amount of nations, calls Abraham out and says, I'm going to rescue more nations back to me through you. So it's a temporary division. So last week we saw Genesis 10. It's a big disbursement of nations. Lots of people groups mentioned there. And then chapter 11 tells us why Genesis 10 happens. Um, And so we've seen here in this narrative that you've you've got mankind wanting to go up against God. There's rebellion. They don't want to spread out. There's pride. They want to make a name for themselves. And it's all tied to fear. They don't want to be spread out. They're, they're, they're anxious about it. They're nervous about it. Let's stay together. There's, there's strength in numbers. And so there's a lot of different emotions and feelings going on here in Genesis 11. Rebellion, pride, and fear. And then God graciously responds to these emotions of the people here in Shinar. He comes down and responds and, and confounds their language. He prevents a need for a flood, essentially. That had this been tolerated had god been long suffering in this area it would have warranted another global judgment that mankind would have risen up in unity and in rebellion and god would have had to respond with with some type of judgment so god's grace says i'm not going to let it get to that point i'm not going to let it get to that point i'm going to spread them out i'm going to spread them out they're going to do what i always intended them to do and that's to multiply and go to the ends of the earth so I want to leave you uh, this morning with two final thoughts on the Tower of Babel um, and how it relates to us today. So the, f- the first thing that I want you to take note of this morning is a life lived for the glory of anything but God is a life wasted in futility. A life lived 
for the glory of anything but God is a life wasted in futility. When God comes down here at the Tower of Babel to interact with these people, he graciously redirects the people at Babel. Rather than letting them go through this process of building this giant facility for their namesake, for their glory's sake, God steps in and redirects them. He says, I'm not going to let you uh, spend so much time and effort and resource into futility. And so God graciously steps in and stops their plans. He reminds them, and through his actions, God wants to remind them that they were not created to build their own glory, but to image forth the glory of God. This is relevant and important for us today because we can look around and see people around us that are building towers that are based on pride of accomplishment. People around us that are building their kingdoms, building things for their namesake, investing their life, investing their purpose for life into things that are temporary, into things that are futile. And so what we have is, is, is God graciously reminding us through Scripture, prompting us hopefully this morning to evaluate what, what we're investing our time and life into, that we don't fall prey to what so many people around us are doing, and that's building their own glory through their accomplishments. I think it's important to note here as well that God accomplishes his purposes despite man's heart. You'll remember that, that God had called Noah and his family to spread out, to spread his glory. What we have here in, in chapter 11 is man saying, we're not going to do it. We're not going to obey. And God's plans are never stopped because of man's choice and man's rebellion. God steps in and, and tweaks the situation, changes the situation, changes the rules of how things are playing out and says it will happen. It will happen just the way that I wanted it to. Mankind will spread out to the ends of the earth. So a life lived for the glory of anything but God is a life wasted in futility. And then secondly, this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time, a unified people can only be stopped by supernatural forces. A unified people can only be stopped by supernatural forces. What you have here, and I want us to look at the Tower of Babel from a different angle this morning. I want us to, to see the principles that are contained here that if used for God's glory rather than man's glory, the same principles ring true for how that gets accomplished. See, these people came together with a common goal, a common purpose. We're willing to work together. We're going to do whatever it takes to accomplish what's been set before us. And they're well on their way to doing it. They're, they're unified. Their language is the same. Their purpose is the same. A full-on effort to accomplish this. And God says, if left to themselves, they will accomplish this. Nothing will hold them back. Nothing will stop them. And so supernaturally, God has to step in and say, we're not going to allow this to happen. This won't be tolerated. This won't be excused. This won't be allowed to happen. So, so supernaturally, it's all, that, it's all that's possible in stopping this people that are unified together. And so what I want us to see this morning is the flip side. That a unified people can only be stopped by supernatural forces in moving towards the common good as well. When humans come around a common goal, 
Our potential is maximized, and there's not much that we can't accomplish. We have the potential to do great good. You'll remember when we were talking through and teaching through the book of First and Second Thessalonians, and then we looked at different portions of the New Testament. That early church, Pentecost, common language. Everybody's hearing the gospel in their, in their language. They get unified together, and then flowing through the book of Acts, you see just a common goal, common purpose. They're selling everything. They're living together. They're helping each other. Nobody considers their possessions their own possessions. It's, it's for everyone. Let's just share and distribute how it's needed. And then you start to see in some of the letters that there are supernatural forces trying to stop the church, right? Paul highlights, pray against Satan. Satan is hindering me from getting back to you. I want to come back and, and teach you more sanctification stuff, right? First and second Thessalonians. I want to come back to you, Thessalonians. I need to, to fill up what's lacking in your faith. I want to, I want to grow you up to full maturity, but Satan is hindering me from getting to you. What we find in the New Testament is that Satan supernaturally has to get involved to try to stop the common goal and union of God's church. That they were unified around a common goal, common purpose. We want to set out and do this full on effort and to get Satan's attention. It gets the, the demonic world's attention to where they say, okay, we've got to get involved here. If left to themselves, they will accomplish great things for God. And so Satan wants to get involved to try to stop it. Let's look back here at Genesis 11 and see some of the principles that, that can be flipped for the good. There was agreement from these people concerning four different things. There was agreement concerning their goal. What should we do? What should we do? It says in verse 3, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Verse 4, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. What should we do? Let's, let's build something. Let's build it for a purpose, to make our names great. Over and over it says, come let us. There was corporate buy-in from this people. Corporate buy-in from everyone. They're all on the same page. This isn't one or two people making decisions for the group and saying, hey, we're going to do it this way. We want you to do it with us. And then people reluctantly saying, okay, we'll do it. You're telling us to do it. There is corporate buy-in from these people. There, there, there's, there's a common goal here. We're going to accomplish this together. So the, the question, what should we do, was answered by this people. We're going to build a city. We're going to build a tower. We're going to build it in such a way that our name is made great, that we don't have to spread out. We're going to do this together. There was also common agreement about the value of doing it the question is it worth doing you know as as plans start to circulate we're gonna we're gonna build this giant tower we're gonna build this giant city you know our our, our forefather noah has been telling us and noah was still alive at this time most likely noah has been telling us to spread out but now it's starting to circulate that we're going to go in a different direction we're actually going to stay together and we're going to build this together and there would have been some discussion and some some reckoning. Is it worth it? Is it worth what it's going to take to build this? This isn't an easy task here. It says that they're forced to make bricks. They're in a location where stone is not readily available. So they're going to have to create building blocks to do this. This wasn't just a, a thing that they're going to do on the weekend, right? This wasn't just something, hey, we'll do this. And then once that's done, we'll, we'll start doing some other things. I mean, this was a long-term commitment. 
complete buy-in from everyone. Hey, everybody that was thinking about spreading out, change your plans and stay with us. Everybody that was thinking about going and, and spreading out and going into the country and having your big property land and, and doing things that you wanted to do, hey, change those plans. Let's all do the same thing together. And it seems that everyone buys in. Based on some of the, the, the numbers, how long people lived, uh, and estimations, it's possible that the Earth's population is back up near 30,000 at this time. We're only maybe 100 years after the flood. And people have been reproducing. And the implication, it's not that there's just a group of people doing this. It's not a small group of people. I mean, God comes down and gets involved in this because there's common unity amongst the people that are on the earth. And there's complete buy-in about something that's not easy. They're forced to make the bricks. And they decided to do it despite the difficulties of doing it. It was also agreement about the method. How should we do it? Okay, so there was a common goal. We're going to make a great name for ourselves. We're going to not spread out. But how are we going to accomplish that? We're going to do it through building a tower, through making bricks. There was agreement about the method as well. And then ultimately agreement about the purpose. Why should we do it? We're going to do it in defiance against God. We're going to do it contrary to what God has asked us to do. Now, now, now flipping that to what we're commanded to do in the old and in the New Testament, the, the, the New Testament, the church is commanded to make disciples. And what we've seen in this passage, we're commanded to make disciples of all nations. We're, we're called to reconcile what went wrong at the Tower of Babel, looking to the future when Jesus comes back and that full reconciliation happens. So the, so the goal is, is making disciples of all nations. There has to be common unity in our church to buy into that goal. What should we do? Make disciples of all nations. The value of that, is it worth doing? Is it worth doing? The method of how we should do it. The purpose, why we should do it. The, the, the principles here is that if, if we can get our church... If we can get the global church to buy into this and to come together with this common unity, the only thing that can stop God's glory going to the ends of the earth is supernatural forces stepping in. And we know that, that, that the supernatural force of God is far greater than anything that he's created. But it takes corporate buy-in from us. And where there's some flexibility within our church is probably the method of how we're going to do this. So... That there's, there's common unity for all churches, that the goal is to make disciples of all nations. The value of it is that it's absolutely worth it because it's a guaranteed plan to work, that we can, we, we've been given the future. We've, we've seen into the book of Revelation, there's people from every tribe, nation, and tongue there. So we know that it works, so it's absolutely valuable. The plan is valuable because we know it will work. Anytime you're called to invest in something, it's certainly helpful to know what the outcome might be. And the, the probability of it being a good outcome lends more desire to invest in it. God gives us the advantage of seeing the outcome of investing in the gospel, that it works, that, that it comes to fruition. The method, though, is where there's some flexibility. How do we accomplish this? And that's where our goals for a church come into play. That our method... What we're adopting here at Sovereign Hope is that we want to make disciples of all nations by starting with a specific nation. 
with a specific country where we want to send people from our church to Uganda to, to begin a, a work there where there's not a work currently happening. To see people come to faith in Christ and to, to raise up elders after the model that Paul instituted, where he would teach and grow up individuals and then get out of the way. Get out of the way and let that people group grow and develop and start more churches in their area. And doing everything that we can in the here and now to get ready for that process. You know, we've talked in, in, in regards to the ethnic diversity issue. Um, one of the things that we've been involved in in the past is the summer fun program, right? So that's where we've gathered at the, the city park and uh, kids come from the surrounding neighborhoods and, and it's primarily African-American kids and, and it's all set up for us. We get to, we get to show up and just play games with them and, and there's food that we provide and, and then we send them home and for all practical purposes, it's, it's fairly easy. There's some, there's some, uh, cultural, uh, cultural differences that we have to get past as we seek to interact with these kids. Things that maybe we're not as used to. Um, but in talking with the people that have headed this up, uh, it gets more difficult this summer because they're not doing summer fun program. Um, they're not doing it the way that they've done it in the past. Instead, there's an organization that's feeding uh, these kids, not at the city park, but but in their neighborhoods. They're feeding them directly in their houses and in their neighborhoods. And and the appeal and the request to local churches is to to find a way to come and help support what they're doing not in the safety confines of the public park where we're just inter- interacting with the kids, but to actually go into the neighborhoods and not just interact with the kids, but interact with their parents and really start to break down some of the racial divide that exists between us. So part of what we're going to talk about next week in our application Sunday is, is what does that mean for our church? How do we get involved in what some of the other churches are doing in the area, in that Couch Street area? How do we intentionally seek to diversify how we're ministering as a church, right? We said that that skin color doesn't matter maybe until you look around and everybody's the same skin color as you. And you're part of a church that's supposed to be diversified because the church on the last day will be diversified. And so we look around and say, okay, maybe we've got to be more intentional with our ministry. Maybe we've got to be more intentional with our ministry. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is there is there value to it? Absolutely. But it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for us to be this type of church that steps out and says, okay, we're going to be more intentional with how we minister. It wasn't easy for these people to start building bricks either. It wasn't easy for them to say, okay, we're going to actually commit long-term to this process of building a giant tower. We don't have any building materials for it. We're going to have to create the building materials for it. The only way they were successful, though, was for everybody to buy into it. It takes more than two or three people in our church saying, hey, we're going to do this. The, the results aren't what they could be when there's corporate buy-in. There could have been a group of 10 people that said, let's build a giant tower to heaven. And it would have taken them infinitely longer than, than it would for the group that really got together to try to do that. Five people in their backyard saying, let's build a giant tower for our namesake. I don't know that it causes supernatural forces to have to get involved. I don't think God comes down and says, we've got to change the language of these five people, Right? God says, they'll stop this on their own. They'll get tired and they'll fizzle out and this won't get very tall. But there was such unity with the people where God says, now they're in this. There is devotion and there is passion. It's all sinful and rebellious. 
But there is buy-in to what's about to happen here, and I'm going to stop it. Imagine what it would look like for us to buy in to this type of ministry, to this type of effort where Satan's forces have to get get their attention, where where Satan has to rally in the troops and say, hey, this isn't a couple of people that are trying to feed the poor in Sonoy. This is a movement of churches and not just a couple individuals from churches, but whole churches that are coming together to reach people that have been blinded to the gospel, that have been fed bad theology for years. They're being rescued and reconciled, and they're going to be present on that day before the throne unless we step in and stop it. That's my desire. That's what I want to see our church buy into. A common goal of disciple making realizing the value that it's not easy, that it's going to take a lot of work. There's going to be some some uncomfortableness for us. But moving past it, just like they had to move past the, the uncomfortable heat to build these bricks, to embrace the method of our church, because there's some flexibility again here in, in how we do this. But for our church, we've we've really honed in on, let's send people to Uganda. But what better way to send people to interact with, with a culture there than to start developing that type of mindset here by interacting with people that don't look like us, that don't come from the same cultural background as us. To go ahead and start tearing down some of those walls now so that when we send people over, it's almost a natural transition. Not to say that there won't be other things that have to be be dealt with there, but immediately getting past some of the initial things that we struggle with. Buying into that concept. In Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, and we'll close with, with, these, with, this, with these last two things here. Jeremiah chapter 29. God gives instruction to his people that are in captivity. While I know the Babylonian captivity is, is far different than what we experience today, and there, there's some parallels in the fact that, that we are a people... We are God's people, much like the children of Israel in the Old Testament, that we're longing for a different city, right? They've been relocated to Babylon. They know that God has promised we're not staying in Babylon, but the time's not yet come to go back home. We're, we're a people, and the New Testament describes us as a, as, as a foreign people, strangers in this, in this area right now. Strangers to this culture, strangers to what the world has become. That we're God's people. We're, we're people that look to a, a different city, a city that's to come. In the same way that Hebrews describes Abraham as looking to a city, a different type of city. But there's instruction that God gives to his people as they wait for their captivity to be lifted. In Jeremiah 29 verse 4 it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. 
These are some these are some great principles for us as we wait for Jesus to come back. God says, I have you in a city right now. I have you in a town right now. And no, it's not your permanent location. It's not your permanent destination. You're an alien. You're a stranger there. But for now, that is where you live. That is your location. And having an, a, an, an, a, having a, a heavenly mindset, an eternal mindset, doesn't mean that everything gets put on pause and everything stops. God says, take wives, have kids, build houses, plant gardens, eat your produce, give your kids away in marriage. These are all things that have happened within our church in the last couple of years. People have bought houses. People have planted gardens at their houses. People have had kids. We've given away kids in marriage. Right? These are all things that we are doing and doing faithfully and doing rightfully. But God says in the midst of those things, remember that while it's not your permanent city, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Serve that city. Invest in that city. Pray for that city. And that's our that's our call for the here and now. We should be a blessing to those around us. We should be a blessing to the people that we get to come in contact with in our city. We play the role of Abraham as one of God's children to be a blessing to other nations, to be a blessing to people of other ethnic descent. Abraham called out, God says, I'm going to make you a a blessing to all nations. God sends his people to Babylon and says, pray for the welfare of your city right now. Serve your city around you. And we have that opportunity. We have that opportunity to serve right here. Some of us would long that the, the adventure of being overseas uh, mesmerizes us. But for the here and now, serve your city faithfully. Invest in your city. Pray for the welfare of that city. We seek to be a blessing in our city as we ultimately wait for a city to come. The beauty of Revelation chapter 21 is that it's the exact opposite of the Tower of Babel. Revelation 21, verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is a picture of God coming down to us, heaven coming down to the new earth. An exact opposite of what the people at Babel were trying to accomplish. They're trying to go to God. They're trying to to give access for themselves to God. They're trying to meet God in the air. The picture in Revelation is the only way that we can interact with God. The only way that we can fellowship with God is for him to come to us. And that's the, that's the beauty of the gospel. It's God coming to us. Religion uh, uh, around the world teaches that we have to do things to get to God. The Tower of Babel, let's, let's construct something to get to God. The gospel is that God comes to us. That God gives full access to himself because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. That there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can build. There's nothing that we can accomplish. No matter how many of us come together. There's nothing that can be done to gain access to God that Christ has accomplished that access for us. So, so in looking back over these past couple of weeks, my desire, I want Sovereign Hope to be unified in how we seek to be a blessing to this city while we wait for the ultimate blessing of God's city. I want us to be unified around this as we seek to minister in this area, as we seek to minister around the world. 
that we're unified. And I think that, that as we continue to rally around the goals that we're talking about, planting churches overseas, planting churches locally, that the more corporate buy-in we get, obviously the bigger effects we're going to have as we step out to seek to accomplish these things. God's glory will still go forth if four, five, six people buy into it. But imagine what God can accomplish if all of us buy in fully to that. We become unified in our language, unified in our purpose. We rally around the value of investing in that. And then not only our church, but we're able to include other churches in this process. God's glory goes forth the way that he's always desired for it to. Let's pray together. God, we come to you and we just want to praise you and thank you for the truths that are contained in your word. Father, we're thankful that you've provided historical records for us to be able to look back and see to know why the world is what it is today. God, we don't have to wonder where evil came from. We don't have to wonder where sin came from. We don't have to wonder where death and destruction and tragedy came from. Father, you've, you've allowed us to look back into history in our study in Genesis here to see that, that mankind is responsible for all of its harm. Mankind is responsible for all of his suffering. That because of our rebellious choices, because of our continued stance against you, we continue to create problems for ourselves. God, we know that the sin problem runs deep. That you created Adam and Eve to be glorious, and they chose sinful rebellion. You rescued Noah and his family, but water was not sufficient to wash this earth away that sin still reigned, that death still reigned. And as Noah and his family exited the ark and began to produce and reproduce, that as Noah's family expanded, God, we see that they came together for a common purpose of defying you. So God, as we look out and see nation after nation, we recognize that it it boils down to a sin problem, a problem that runs deep. And God, we're thankful that you have sent a flood of Jesus Christ's blood to wash away that sin. That the condemnation that we deserve has been atoned for. We are thankful that your wrath has been satisfied on the cross. And God, we're thankful that we have been washed white as snow. We thank you for the gospel this morning that that the expectation is no longer what we can do for you, but what you have done already for us. And Father, we pray now that as new creations, as believers in you, that have, that have come together to be a part of this local church, God, we pray that uh, individual mindsets would be torn down, that, that we would come together as a true local church, a true local body that is bonded together, that is unified together, much like those churches that we see in the book of Acts. Churches that were moving in a direction where Satan and his forces felt it necessary to get involved to stop it. Father, we don't want to be the the group of five or six in the backyard trying to build a tower out of blocks that Satan can look at and say, well, that's not any of our concern. God, we want to be a church that 
that storms this earth for your glory. God, we want it to start right here in our city. As we grow, as we have babies, as we build houses, as we plant gardens, as we give our kids away in marriage. As kids are born and as we grow and potentially die before Jesus comes back. We want to be a church that invests in the welfare of this city. A church that sends people to invest in the welfare of other cities as well. God, help us to be unified around a common goal, a common purpose for your glory, for your honor. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.